When I moved to Maryland in 2009, I was geographically separated from my family further than I had been in any of the other places that I had previously lived. I was not married at the time, but I did have one relative who was living, relatively speaking, not too far away. My great-aunt, Roberta, who was my grandfather's sister, lived up in Pennsylvania at an assisted living facility up uh, up near Lancaster, so roughly about 75 miles or so from here. And I had known my great-aunt and had interacted with her some when I was younger, and so I started going up to visit her periodically. And as odd as it may sound, my great-aunt was actually the first member of my family that Ruby ever met after uh, Ruby and I had started dating. I one time said to Roberta as I was describing Ruby and telling Roberta what Ruby was like, My great-aunt said to me, she sounds like our kind of people. And back in 2016, uh, my great-aunt's daughter, Eileen, who is my father's cousin, organized the 90th birthday party for my great-aunt. And since she knew that, that my family and I had periodically come up to see Roberta, she invited us to the party. And the last time that I had seen Eileen was probably about 20 years prior to this. I, I really didn't know Eileen really that well at all. And the last time Eileen had seen my father was probably about 20 years in the past as well. And as I, as I walked in that day, my dad's cousin did a double take. She knew that it was supposed to be me who was coming and not my father, but she did that double take because she thought that I looked so much like my father. There was a family resemblance that was quite striking to her. And you all are familiar with that kind of thing. You talk about how a girl has her father's ears or a boy has his mother's eyes and so on. And I have an old black and white picture from probably back in the 1970s uh, tucked away at home of my great-great-uncle Bill Jackson. He was in his 70s probably when the picture was taken. And I could see in his face what I remember of my grandfather's face. And I think that given the resemblance between me and my grandfather... If I live to be in my 70s, I'm probably going to look like that black and white photo of my great-great-uncle Bill Jackson. You understand that there are physical characteristics that run in families. We've, we've all seen that, we've experienced that, and we know that. And as we continue in the Gospel of John this morning, we find Jesus showing us that spiritual characteristics also run in families. But the families in view here are not families that are united in marriage and descended by blood. The families that are in view here are spiritual families. The children in these families are spiritual children. And ultimately, there are only two families, ultimately only two fathers. There are the children of God and the children of the devil. Children of God follow in God's ways And the children of the devil want to do his desires. And so with that, let's look to our text this morning, which is John chapter 8. And we'll be beginning up in verse 39, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 39. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children... Do the deeds of Abraham, because as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. 
For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This conversation that we observe here between Jesus and the Jewish crowd had taken a turn toward the issue of family lineage back up in verse 33, a few verses prior to where we began reading. We saw there last week that the Jews claimed to have been the descendants of Abraham and never to have been slaves of anyone. And Jesus, after responding to them concerning the subject of slavery and slavery to sin and how he came to deliver from that slavery, Jesus Return to the issue of family lineage up in verses 38 and 37, where he said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. And so obviously, Jesus gets it, right? He knows that these men are Jews. They are the biological descendants of Abraham. He he knows that, yes, of course, they're the descendants of Abraham. But they're doing something that is inconsistent with that. Something inconsistent with their claiming their lineage from Abraham. Namely, they are trying to kill Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus explains the, the difficulty that has arisen between he and his hearers. He had spoken to them the things that he had seen from his father. Well, they were wanting to do the things that they had heard from their father. And so Jesus is there explaining himself, explaining his mission, explaining the way of salvation through faith in him, how the Son 
If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And meanwhile, these people are trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus says to them that they are doing the things that they had heard from their father. Well, what father had they been hearing these things from? They claim in verse 39, Abraham is their father. And Jesus pushes back on this. Even though he had already granted that, yes, you are physically descended from Abraham, he recognizes and points out to them that there is a spiritual disconnect between the man that Abraham was and the kind of men that these people are. If they want to claim Abraham as their father, they ought to be doing the kind of deeds that Abraham did. Instead, they're trying to kill Jesus, trying to kill the one who had brought them the truth of God. And Jesus says, this Abraham did not do. Of course, we know that Abraham had his forceful side. As in Genesis 14, when he heard that his nephew Lot had been taken captive, under those conditions, Abraham rounds up the 318 trained men of his household, and he goes out after the kings. Indeed, the book of Hebrews refers to that incident as the slaughter of the kings. Right? Abraham, Abraham could be forceful when need be. But killing a messenger from God was certainly not the thing that Abraham did And we read about that in Genesis 18, right? There were those three men who came to visit Abraham, and as the subsequent narrative makes it clear, two of those men were actually angels, the angels who went down to Sodom to get Lot and to destroy the city. And it also became clear that one of those men was actually the Lord himself, the one with whom Abraham negotiated, as it were, for the preservation of the city of Sodom if only ten righteous men could be found there. It was the Lord himself who had appeared to Abraham, presumably actually the pre-incarnate Son of God in the form of a man. These Jews here were wanting to kill the Son of God in the flesh who had told them the truth. Abraham didn't do that. Abraham listened to the Lord. And so Jesus says to the crowd in verse 41 the same thing that he had said pretty much up in verse 38. You are doing the deeds of your father. Now as of yet, Jesus had not told them who their father actually is. But he gets there. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. Now you can see here how Jesus connects one's behavior to the spiritual family to which one belongs. He makes that connection, verse 44, their antagonistic behavior toward Jesus and their desire to kill him indicated that they were of their father, the devil. They wanted to do the things that their father desired. And notice also the conditional statements given by Jesus in verse 39 and also in verse 42. Verse 39, he says, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Or, as the ESV translates it, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. There's a, there's a connection there. If this, then this. If you were really Abraham's children, if you were his true children from a spiritual perspective, You'd be doing what Abraham did. The fact that you're not doing what Abraham did is evidence that you're not really the children of Abraham, not his children, at least in the way that really matters. After they made the claim that they were the children of God in verse 41, Jesus responds in verse 42 with that second conditional statement. He says, if God were your father, if that, then what? You would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God For I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. 
if these men were truly the children of God, they would have loved Jesus because Jesus is the eternal Son of the Father, sent by God into the world. The fact that they did not love Jesus indicated that they were not the children of God. Now, though the form of the statement is different, the same logic is present in the words of verse 47. Jesus says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. In other words, if you belong to God, if you were on God's side, you would hear God's word. Jesus was speaking the word of God to them, but they were not hearing. And the reason they were not hearing is because they were not of God. They were, rather, of their father, the devil. And notice, notice here that this is, this is binary. This is, this is black and white. This is one or the other, and no in-between. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. And it is plain as day here in this passage that you don't become a child of God based on your earthly ancestry. You can have the most godly ancestors in the world and be a child of the devil. You can have the most godly immediate ancestor, most godly father, most godly mother in the world and still be a child of the devil. These people are the descendants of Abraham. They knew it and Jesus knew it. But they were the children of the devil and not the children of God. Now John would write it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 and following. He says this, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has either seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Right, John, John lays it out again there in 1 John. You're a child of God, you're a child of the devil, and it can be seen. Again, this is binary, one or the other. Child of God, child of the devil. And which one is your father will be evident based on your actions. John says that it's obvious who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. If you don't practice righteousness, you're not of God, but you're of the devil. If you don't love your brother, you're not of God, but are of the devil. Or to express it positively, as Jesus expressed it here in John 8, if you are of God, you will love me, Jesus says. You will love Jesus if you are of God. If you are of God, you will hear the words of God. You will hear them, not in the sense of the audible sensation entering your ear canal, but you will hear them in the sense that you will listen, you will believe, you will obey. And on the contrary, if you are of the devil, you will be wanting to carry out the devil's desires. Who you are will be evident to others. They will look at you and they'll be able to tell who your father is. Just like my dad's cousin was able to look at me and she had no question whose child I was when, when she saw me. Now, even though we see the, the binary nature of this great divide in mankind between the children of God and the children of the devil, and even though the binary situation is the absolute reality. I do feel it necessary to be clear 
uh, that the children of God are not always as godly as they ought to be, and that some of the children of the devil don't always parade their family identity as openly as some of their devilish brothers and sisters do. On either side of the divide between the children of God and the children of the devil, there's a, there's a continuum, right? There is increasing wickedness on the side of the devil, and there is increasing godliness on the side of the godly. There's a, there's a continuum. But there's a great chasm between the two sides. It's binary. Two, two sides. Great chasm between the two, but there's a continuum on each side of that divide. And so on the one hand, I want to comfort those who have tender consciences, who legitimately see their sinfulness, who know that they do not love Christ as completely as they ought, nor listen to his word as completely as they ought, nor serve God as faithfully as they ought. And the comfort is this. Even though there is a clear line of demarcation between the children of God and the children of the devil, Jesus is not saying that the children of God are perfect children of God. John is not saying that the children of God absolutely never sin. And this is clear in the book of 1 John by things that he says, such as 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. He's talking about believers, believers who sin, who confess their sins. 1 John 2, 1, that uh, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What John is saying is that sin does not define and control a believer the way it does a non-believer. A believer does not habitually, continually, and unrepentantly sin. A non-believer does. And so, if you're a believer and you have a tender conscience, be comforted. But on the other hand... If you're a child of the devil, do not take any consolation and comfort at all from the fact that you're not as bad or as blatant a sinner as someone else to whom you can point. Unless you're at the extreme end, you can always be pointing to someone who is more ungodly and more wicked than you are. And that is completely irrelevant if you are a child of the devil. I mean, it's nice that you're not a mass murderer and that you're not as rude as you possibly could be, and that you don't steal tithes and offerings from the church as they're being taken to the bank. We appreciate that, and we're thankful for those things. But don't fool yourself, right? You can avoid certain big sins and maybe certain small sins, but that doesn't change anything in regard to your status as being a child of the devil. And so the question that we all need to be asking this morning is, who is your father? Who is my father? That's the question you need to be asking yourself. And if you need help answering that question, you can kind of ask the following diagnostic questions. Whom do I resemble? Do I resemble God or do I resemble the devil? What's the, what's the family likeness look like in my life? If you profess to be a child of God, do you love Jesus? Do you listen to the word of God which Jesus came to proclaim? Do you submit yourself to that word which Jesus proclaimed? If you do those things, those are good signs that you're a child of God. You may be weak, you may stumble more than you wish you did, but nevertheless you have good evidence within you that you are a child of God. My brother, my sister, keep going, if that's you. Keep loving Jesus. Keep listening to his word and continue submitting yourself to it. Continue practicing righteousness. Pray for the grace of the Holy Spirit that you may continue and abound more and more and that you may grow in the grace and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, there may be some who 
look into their heart and find it very dark. You see that you don't love Jesus, that you don't listen to the word of God. In fact, your desires are set directly in line with the desires of the devil. And Jesus described the characteristics of the devil there in verse 44 when he says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this, I think, is is helpful to see, the, the character of Satan, that he's a liar, that he's a murderer, that he lies to mankind so that he can murder their souls. This is what he did in the beginning when he lied to Eve in the garden to entice her to disobey God so that he might bring the human race from life to death. God said, you eat the fruit, you're going to die. What does the devil do? He wants Eve to eat the fruit so that she will die. And so he lies to her. And then, by her enticement, Adam ate and did that very thing. Brought death to the human race. Physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death in hell. It's a crafty servant, that devil. He schemed, he lied, he murdered. But thanks be to God, the devil's designs did not accomplish everything for which he had schemed. On that very dark day in the garden, where the devil lied and murdered, God also promised that there would be a redeemer, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And therefore, John says in that passage that we read in 1 John 3, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. The devil had works in motion. Jesus showed on the scene to crush those works, to crush the head of the serpent, to put to naught the works and schemes of the devil. Jesus came to speak truth and to bring life, to bring life and immortality to light through the gospel, as Paul would express it in 2 Timothy 1.10. The devil lies, the devil kills, and those who follow him walk in his ways, the ways of lies and deception, the ways of turning away from the truth and seeking to turn others away from the truth also. His ways are ways of murdering. Satan's business is that of blinding the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and so be saved, as we find in 2 Corinthians 4.4. Those who walk in the ways of the devil want the same thing as well. They themselves have strayed off the path of eternal life and they want to pull others off of that path as well. Now maybe, maybe that's you this morning. That you belong to the devil and you walk in the devil's ways, the murdering, the lying, and you live in what Paul described as the evident deeds of the flesh. And that those are more or less the things that you want to do, as he said in Galatians 5. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. If that describes you this morning, you need to take that as a warning sign. These signs point to your identity as being a child of the devil. And that is a dangerous and deadly position to be in. But if that describes you, there is hope. Look at how this passage continues. There is hope for you. After Jesus had spoken to the Jews as he did in verses 42 through 47... The Jews respond in verse 48 by asking him a very derogatory question. Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? 
Now, how's that for, for a question in an exchange like this? They cannot stand toe-to-toe with Jesus in arguments, nor refute his words with theirs, and so they basically resort to name-calling at this point. They ask Jesus if he was not a Samaritan, which for them is a shorthand for calling someone a despicable, heretical half-breed. And then on top of that, they ask him if he is demon-possessed. Now, we've, we've seen this question about if Jesus is demon-possessed earlier in the Gospel of John, back in chapter 7, verse 20. And back there, it seems like they were probably meaning to more or less ask him if he was out of his mind or disturbed or paranoid. But here, here in John 8, in this context, it seems that they mean it in its full literal sense, in the sense of, are you not demon-possessed? We think you are. Jesus rejects the assertion out of hand and contrasts his action with theirs. He honors his father. They dishonor him. And when we consider what Jesus had said back in chapter 5, verse 23, it becomes clear that the fact that this crowd dishonored Jesus meant that they were dishonoring the father as well. Right? Jesus said that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. If you dishonor the son, you're not honoring the father. Jesus says in verse 50 here that He doesn't seek his own glory. He'd come to do the will of his Father. But there was someone who was seeking the glory of Jesus, namely God the Father. God the Father was seeking the glory of Jesus, and God the Father would judge. And then comes the gospel in verse 51. Notice that there. This is the gospel. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. When Jesus sets up something he's about to say with truly, truly, or in the King James, verily, verily. When Jesus sets something up like that, we need, to, we need to pay close attention to what he's saying. He says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And in order to understand what Jesus is getting at here, we need to understand a couple of things. One, what does he mean by keep? And second, what does he mean by his word? Now, to keep here is to believe, to obey, to receive it joyfully and to submit to it. And by his word, Jesus means his, his doctrine, his teaching about himself, his teaching about the way of salvation, about the law of God and about how we should live and about what God requires of us. And thus what it means to, to keep his word is to repent of our sins and believe in him, to repent and believe the gospel. And our Lord says that whoever keeps his word will never see death. This is wonderful. This is what we just sang about right before the sermon, right? It is not death to die. And Jesus is certainly not promising here a deliverance from physical death. And the Gospel of John is, is very clear about that. Jesus says in John 16, 2, They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he is offering service to God. Jesus is very open about the fact that believers are going to die. Sometimes it's going to be a violent death because... People hate me, they're going to hate you too, they're going to kill you, just like they did to Jesus. And in case there was any doubt in our mind about this, I think Jesus' exchange with Martha in John 11 is, is very helpful. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What Jesus promises is that those who keep his word, who believe in him, will not die. And what he means there is, he's talking about the second death, the eternal death 
in hell. Those who believe in Jesus, those who keep his word, will live even if they die. They're going to die physically. They will not die spiritually and eternally. They will never die because they've received the gift of eternal life. It is with them now. It will be with them forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not what? Will not perish, but have eternal life. This is what Jesus is talking about here in verse 51, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He's talking about never perishing in the, in the John 3.16 sense. And in truth, this is the way in which someone changes which family they belong to. This is the hope for you if you're looking into your heart, asking those diagnostic questions, and you think, oh no, I'm a child of the devil. If, if that's you, look to verse 51, because this is the hope. This is how we change our family, as it were. It's through repentance and faith in Christ. Isn't that what we saw last week, earlier here in chapter 8, that... He whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. That Jesus is the one and the only one who can free us from sin. That trusting in him and keeping his word, we're set free from sin so that we may keep his word. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is the hope for those who are currently the children of the devil. And if you are a child of the devil right now, you don't have to remain a child of the devil. In the preaching of the gospel, Jesus calls you to himself. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He invites you to switch your allegiance in the battle that is raging in this world. And he calls you to do that. He commands you to do that. Jesus calls you to repent and believe. And he promises to deliver all of those who do. When he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. But notice how this exchange with the Jews uh, continues to go south because those words of Jesus in verse 51 spark yet more outrage in the Jews so that they say to Jesus, now we know that you have a demon. They're not asking anymore. For them, the conclusion is foregone. We thought so before, they say, but now your words merely confirm what we were thinking. Abraham and the prophets are dead, and yet you're saying that if anyone keeps your words, he'll never see death, he'll never taste death. And so they say, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Again, this, this question of identity keeps on, keeps on coming up. Who, who are you claiming to be? Jesus gives a reply. Verse 54 to 56. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Again, he had said earlier, there's one who is seeking it, who judges. Now he's very clear about who is seeking his glory. He says, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now in those words... Jesus returns to much of of what he had already been telling them about not seeking his own glory, that the Father was the one who was seeking his glory, that Jesus is the one who knows the Father. He's really what John 1 says, says that he is, the only begotten God who was in the bosom of the Father, who had come to earth to reveal the Father. This is this is who Jesus is. 
Meanwhile, these men claimed God as their father, but were not of God. They didn't know God. They were not his children. They didn't keep the father's word, but Jesus did. And Jesus comes back to the question that they had asked about him being greater than Abraham. They Like, Abraham died, the prophets died. Surely you're not greater than Father Abraham. And Jesus says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And what Jesus seems to be getting at there is that, is that Abraham had the messianic promises, that promises that, that in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed, as we find in Genesis 12.3, or, or that of Genesis 22.17, a little bit more specific, that in his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. And Paul picked up on Genesis 22.17 in his words in Galatians 3.8 that we read this morning. And Paul referred to that as the gospel being preached beforehand to Abraham. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, that in his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham had the messianic promises, and he could look ahead by means of those promises to the coming Messiah. And as Jesus said it here, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And this course is mind-blowing and baffling to the Jews and so they they say you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham in other words how did, how did Abraham see your day you're young Abraham lived a long time ago what's up with this and so Jesus says truly truly I say to you before Abraham was born I am and there's that phrase again I am Jesus is claiming in not too subtle terms that he is in fact God, that he is in fact the Lord Almighty. Not only did he exist in the day of Abraham, he existed eternally, from eternity before Abraham was born. Clearly this was no ordinary man who was standing before the crowd that day. This was the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, of whom Abraham had received the promises. He was the one who accompanied those two angels when they came to Abraham in Genesis 18. Abraham had seen afar the Messiah's day and had rejoiced to see it. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God. And these men there who heard him, they got it. They understood. And they thought that he had blasphemed by claiming to be whom he claimed to be. And so in their anger and misguided zeal, they did what was natural. They bent down to pick up stones to throw at him. It was written in the law in Leviticus 23.16. Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the alien as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. The law was not light on blasphemy. And these Jews, without any judicial proceeding, in their anger, proceeded to seek to stone Jesus to death. The law commanded it to be done, certainly. The law was presuming that there would be correct judicial proceedings and not mob action uh, that accomplished the stoning. But there is one thing that this crowd did not seem to really give any weight to at all. Namely, what if the man before them was actually telling the truth? What if he really was? The great I am. What if he really is the one who can grant eternal life to anyone who keeps his word? 
What if he really was the one whose day Abraham had seen from a distance and had rejoiced? What if he had really proceeded forth and have come from God the Father? Well, then there would be no reason to stone him. Rather, there would be reason to believe his word, to submit to him, to follow him, to worship him. But it doesn't appear that these men even granted the possibility that such might be the reality. They were not of God. They couldn't receive Jesus' word. Rather, they were of their father, the devil, and wanted to carry out the devil's desires. Jesus, for his part here, was preserved from their evil designs. He was hidden, seemingly miraculously, and went out from the temple. His hour had not yet come. It was not yet time for him to die. And what does this do but only serve to strengthen everything that Jesus had said about himself? That he is who he claimed to be. His opponents understood him and hated what he said. Rather than receiving his word, they wanted to kill him as a blasphemer. They showed their colors. They showed that they were the children of the devil and not the children of God that they claimed to be. Now one more time. How about you this morning? Who is your father? Again, remember this is, this is binary. This is one or the other. Child of God or you're a child of the devil. And you're going to look like your father. The resemblance won't be identical, but it will be a resemblance in general. In general, you're going to be doing the deeds of your father. The one who is of God, hears the words of God, receives the words of God, believes them, and obeys them. The one who is of the devil wants to carry out the devil's desires. Chiefly, deception and the murder of souls. So if you're a child of the devil, please, again, recognize the danger in which you currently stand. Your father is headed for judgment, and as of now, so are you. And Unless you believe that Jesus is the I am, you will perish in your sins. But again, the good news of the gospel is that he whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. If anyone keeps his word, he will never see death. My friend, Turn away from your sins today. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. And if you are a child of God, then praise God. Recognize the tyranny of the evil from which He has delivered you. Satan is a liar and a murderer, and you were once in His domain. But praise God, Jesus has set you free from that. And so worship Him for it. And in view of God's mercies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to Him. Make it your ambition to be pleasing to the Lord in all respects. Live like his child in all of the peace and freedom that that brings. And seek to grow in the family resemblance. Seek to be more and more like Christ each day. The Holy Spirit is at work within you to bring that family resemblance to greater accomplishment each day. He's at work within you to conform you to the image of Christ. Don't hinder that work by your sins. Don't grieve the Spirit. But rather keep in step with the Spirit. Continue believing, continue obeying, keep his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious passage that we have considered and the glory and beauty and wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and of your great plan of salvation. We thank you, Father, that though there is nothing lovely or desirable about us, we were children of the devil, under condemnation, ungodly, wicked, and yet you sent your Son into the world to live and die so that we might become your children. And we give you praise and thanks for that. We ask that you would help us 
to live more and more each day as members of your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.